Good morning and welcome. We certainly want to welcome our guests and our visitors. We're thankful that you could be with us and, and we encourage you to join us for, uh, for coffee and refreshments and fellowship afterward. Uh, just to highlight a few things in our announcement bulletin, we have a few things going on this week with the ladies' tea on Wednesday. If you haven't signed up for that, ladies, please do so. Um, that's uh, to be held this Wednesday evening. And then we have a uh, office bearer training on Monday. We'd encourage all the men to show up for that. And then on Friday, uh, there's a memorial service planned for Mark Hawkins um, here at the church at 7 p.m. And all are welcome to attend that. Beloved, we have now, this day, the greatest privilege that man could know. The privilege of being able to gather together for worship. That we might do that in a way that's pleasing to God. Let's join our hearts together in prayer, asking for His blessing, asking that He would be glorified through us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for hearing our prayer. We thank you for gathering us in this place and giving us the privilege of approaching your throne of grace. Grant that our hearts might be firmly focused upon you, that your word might be proclaimed with faithfulness, and that all that we do might be pleasing in your sight as you equip us and guide us through your Holy Spirit. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Let us stand together. Beloved, the Lord calls us to worship this morning with these words from Hebrews chapter 12, where he says, You have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. The Lord has called us into his presence. How gracious and how good. Let us, therefore, bring him the worship which he is due. Congregation of our Lord Jesus, from where does your help come? Our help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Hear now his greeting. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Let us sing praise together to him from number 324. God himself is with us. Number 324.
that is filled with the brokenness and the pain that comes from sin and rebellion. And the Lord knows that. He also knows that much of the hurt that we experience, much of the struggle that we endure, comes from that which we ourselves have done, right? We, we create our own consequences in the folly of sin. And God would be entirely just to leave us to those consequences. He would be entirely just to say, I created you to love me with all your heart and soul, mind and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And you have neglected to do those things. In fact, you have flat out declined to do those things. And therefore, the misery in which you live is justly earned. He would be righteous to do that. But instead, he sent his son to experience all the hardship and trial and difficulty of life in a broken world for us. And to suffer the consequence of all who would turn to Him. The consequence of their sin. And then to rise up victorious over it. And that Son of God says to us, Come to Me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. The yoke of sin and the burden of guilt is so heavy that it will crush us. But for those who put off that burden and take up Christ by faith, we have life and we have hope and we have comfort that the unbelieving world cannot fathom. So let us confess our trust in Him, our confidence in Him. Even though we're surrounded by a world of sin and, and by the enemies of God, let us put our trust in Him. As we sing together, number 291, this is a rendering of Psalm 140. We're going to sing all the stanzas of 291 as our confession.
Jesus tells us to take his yoke upon us. For his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And to those whom he has received, to those who have turned to him by faith, he gives God's law. Because by that law, we learn to turn away from that sin and that rebellion that would destroy us. And that, that keeps us burdened under the weight of our guilt and, and rebellion. And so to those whom he has freed from their slavery, God says, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out from the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and who keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it, you shall not do any work, you nor your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder you shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant or his female servant, his ox or his donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. This is the way of thanksgiving. This is the way of freedom for those who are in Christ, for those who trusting in him would bear his yoke. 
And it's as those who have been freed from our sins, from our burdens, from our griefs, that we come before the Lord in prayer. Now as we prepare to do that, we have the joyful task of welcoming the Bowman family, uh, Mike and Sue and, and Allison, Austin and Raylan. If you've not met them, uh, do that. We, uh, we're, we welcome you all and we pray that, that God would bless you all as a part of this congregation and would make you to be a blessing. Um, in addition, we made known uh, via the, the prayer emails that Tiffany Crosby's biological brother, Austin, uh, was taken suddenly on Friday through a, uh, a motorcycle accident. So please keep Tiffany and Jim and their family in your prayers uh, as they grieve. Um, in addition, uh, a while back, we prayed for a friend of uh, Seth and Miriam's, Grant Brookhouse, a uh, young father who was suffering from COVID and was in the hospital. He was in pretty rough shape. Um, he was able to go home this past week after 96 days in the hospital, which is pretty big. And he's not, a, not an older gentleman. He's a young father. So praise the Lord for, for hearing the prayers of his people for Grant, um, but also uh, pray for continued strengthening and recovery from that. Um, it's been about two years since the start of the public re response to COVID. We've seen a lot of changes and a lot of uh, adjustments in our society during that time, a lot of division. Certainly that should keep us on our knees as well. So with that, let's come before the Lord in prayer. O Lord, our Heavenly Father, we confess before you that were we left to ourselves to bear the burden of our sin, to bear the burden of living in this fallen world, we would be hopeless. What a joy it is to hear the invitation from Christ to come and to belong to Him. To receive the forgiveness of sins and the reconciliation that, that your Son alone could provide. And to be embraced by your love, by your protection, by your freedom. Father, we thank you for that richness of grace. And we pray that you would open the hearts of each one here to receive that invitation to Embrace it by a faith that you have worked within us. Father, we thank you for the, the Bowman family. We thank you for bringing Mike and Sue among us. For making Allison, Austin, and Raylan part of the church family. We thank you for the gifts that you've given them by which they've already begun to bless the congregation. And, and also, Lord the gifts of the congregation by which they will be blessed. We pray that you would knit them firmly together with the church family here. Lord, we thank you that we have the church family to encourage and bless us. Lord, we ask that you would provide for Tiffany and Jim in their time of grief. 
that You would comfort and strengthen them at this time. Reminding them of Your precious promises and reminding them that that they're not alone. We pray that You would continue to bless and strengthen them. Lord, we pray for others in our congregation who are in particular need. We think of Dan and Kathy as Dan goes through uh, treatment for his cancer. We think of Linda and Bruce as Linda continues receiving treatment for her uh, long-term ailment and as they seek patience, looking forward to that time when they could have a surgery and, and begin the next stage of healing. We pray for those who are dealing with long-term pain and looking for relief. We think of Norm in particular. We think of Maggie. Lord, we pray that You would provide for each of these. We pray for our members who cannot regularly worship with us. We ask that You would comfort and strengthen them. Also for those who are distant from us. Peter in the army. uh, Greta and her husband, Teen Missions. Nathan and Austin and others, Lord, we ask that You would bless and watch over them. We pray for those preparing for marriage, that You would prepare them well, that they might be knit together by Your Spirit and Your Word. We pray for those expecting the birth of children soon, that You would knit those children together in the womb and provide both for mother and child. We pray for those going through the adoption process. We think especially of Seth and Miriam, we ask Your blessing upon them and upon that process. And Lord, in all of this, we confess that we rest utterly on You. Without Your help, we, we would have no hope. Father, we, we think in that respect of Grant and how You provided healing for him through such a long hospitalization, such a long struggle against the effects of COVID. Lord, we ask that You would provide for him as only You are able, that You would grant to him and to Rachel the resources they need and also the comfort. Lord, it's been a trying two years as we look back and we think on how dramatically our society changed in response to the spread of COVID. And Lord, You know our varying opinions about the measures that were taken. But what we cannot deny, what we are in entire agreement with, is that it dramatically changed our society and revealed the radical division between a believer and unbeliever. As those who are outside of Christ have cowered in fear and responded time and time again with terror over the the prospect of death. Lord, it has thrown into a spotlight the reality of the comfort that You have given Your people through Christ. The comfort that we have in knowing that death has been defeated. 
And that the absolute worst that this world can do to us can only bring us into the presence of the absolute best blessing of entering fully into your presence. Father, we praise you and we thank you for that comfort and for the ability to show forth that comfort in the face of a watching world. As we go forward, Lord, though we don't know what the future holds, we know you do, and you've planned it all out for our good and for the good of your kingdom. And so, Lord, we pray that you would make us to be faithful witnesses to you, faithful witnesses to the world of how glorious and good you are, to provide a hope that transcends this life and that gives assurance of eternal life to all who trust in your Son. Make us to be faithful witnesses, showing forth our confidence with love and being eager to tell others about the victory that Christ has obtained for us. To that end, Lord, as we look together to your word this morning, we ask that you would use it to remind us of the sure confidence we have with Jesus on the throne, interceding on our behalf, providing for us in our need, reminding us of our assurance, knowing that we have our own flesh in heaven awaiting us. Now, Father, we pray that you would bless the word that is proclaimed, and bless each one of us that throughout this day, in the songs we sing, in the prayers that we pray, in the words that we speak to one another, that you would help us to honor and glorify you as we turn our hearts on the hope that we have in Christ. Now we ask all of this, along with the forgiveness of our sins, in Jesus' name, Amen. Well, as we prepare to look together, to God's Word. Let's stand and sing together number 218. This is a rendering of Psalm 108, which calls us to acknowledge our trust in the Lord and our confidence in the promises of His Word. Number 218, we'll sing all the stanzas.
Well, we intend to look together to this morning to the truth of God's Word from many places as it's summarized in uh, Article 26 of our Confession. But first, I'd like to read with you from John 16. And I kind of changed my mind uh, on what part we're going to read. We're going to start reading at verse 16 so we can get the broader context of uh, of the passage that we're looking at here. John 16, starting at verse 16. Now this is Jesus' last speech to his apostles as he's preparing to go to the cross. So they've just celebrated the Lord's Supper. Just before that, he had washed their feet, showing them what true servant leadership looks like. John 14 through 16 is spoken in the upper room and while they're on their way to the Mount of Olives, where he will pray and where he will be arrested. So this is his preparation to them of what they're about to see and experience. And he says, a little while and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, what is this that he says to us? A little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me. And because I am going to the Father. And so they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he's talking about. Jesus knew what they wanted to ask him. So he said to them, is this what you were asking yourselves? What I meant by saying a little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me. Truly, truly, I say to you. You will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also, you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. In that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive, that your joy may be full. I've said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world. And now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, Ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe you came from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Now, Article 26 in our Confession summarizes what Jesus says there and elsewhere when it reminds us we believe that we have no access to God but alone through the only mediator and advocate, Jesus Christ the righteous, 
who therefore became man, having united in one person the divine and human natures, that we men might have access to the divine majesty, which access would otherwise be barred against us. But this mediator, whom the Father has appointed between him and us, ought in no wise to affright us by his majesty, or cause us to seek another according to our fancy. For there is no creature, either in heaven or on earth, who loves us more than Jesus Christ, who though existing in the form of God, yet emptied himself, being made in the likeness of men and of a servant for us, and in all things was made like unto his brethren. If then we should seek for another mediator, who would be favorably inclined toward us. Whom could we find who loved us more than he who laid down his life for us even while we were his enemies? And if we seek for one who has power and majesty, who is there that has so much of both as he who sits at the right hand of God and to whom hath been given all authority in heaven and on earth? And who will sooner be heard than the own well-beloved Son of God? Therefore it was only through distrust that this practice of dishonoring instead of honoring the saints was introduced, doing that which they never have done nor required, but have on the contrary steadfastly rejected according to their bounden duty, as appears by their writings. Neither must we plead here our unworthiness, for the meaning is not that we should offer our prayers to God on the ground of our own worthiness, but only on the ground of the excellency and worthiness of the Lord Jesus Christ, whose righteousness became ours by faith. Therefore the apostle, to remove this foolish fear, or rather distrust, from us, rightly says that Jesus Christ in all things was made like unto his brethren, that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself hath suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. And further to encourage us to go to him, he says, having then a great high priest who hath passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we have not a high priest that cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but one that hath been in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore draw near with boldness unto the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and may find grace to help us in time of need. The same apostle says, Having boldness to enter into the holy place by the blood of Jesus, let us draw near with a true heart in fullness of faith, etc., Likewise, Christ hath his priesthood unchangeable. Wherefore also he is able to save to the uttermost them that draw near unto God through him, seeing that he ever liveth to make intercession for them. What more can be required? Since Christ himself says, I am the way and the truth and the life, no one cometh unto the Father but by me. To what purpose then should we seek another advocate? Since it hath pleased God to give us his own son as an advocate. Let us not forsake him to take another, or rather to seek after another without ever being able to find him. For God well knew when he gave him to us that we were sinners. Therefore, according to the command of Christ, we call upon our heavenly Father, through Jesus our only mediator, as we are taught in the Lord's Prayer, being assured that whatever we ask of the Father in his name will be granted to us. Amen. Beloved of God, through Jesus Christ, I believe one of the most misunderstood, perhaps neglected roles that Jesus came to fulfill is the role of an advocate. Now for the children, advocate might be an unfamiliar term. It basically refers to someone who speaks or writes or acts in order to support or defend someone else. 
It's probably not a term we think about often, and yet in our society, in life, advocates can be very important, can serve a, a crucial role. You see, we use advocates when we need access to a person or a power that otherwise would be far off from us, would be unavailable to us. So, for instance, a person who owes a lot of money might go to a debt advocate who has resources and contacts that will enable him to, to restructure the person's debt to make it payable over time, to make it something that the person can do. Or a Christian who's fired for refusing to work on the Lord's Day might go to an advocacy group like the American Center for Law and Justice that would then defend that Christian for acting according to his principles. The greatest concentration of advocates is found in Washington, D.C. Because people have learned, you know, it's not very effective to just write to your legislator seeking laws and policies that will be favorable to your cause. It's much more effective to gather together with other people who share your concerns, who share your interests, and get an advocate to speak on behalf of all of you. Right? And so we have all kinds of advocates down in Washington, D.C., who advocate for favorable laws for the pro-life cause, or for environmentalism, or for business development, or for laborers, or for veterans, or for farmers, or you name it. That crowd of advocates gives testimony to the effectiveness and the necessity of advocacy. But that's no new discovery. People have always sought help from advocates. In fact, that was the essential function of the priest in old Israel. The priest took the concerns and needs of God's people before the Lord and then spoke to the people with the instruction and the encouragement that the Lord had given to them. That was the priestly role. Well, Article 26 speaks of a dysfunction of advocacy. At some point in the Middle Ages, people began praying to and seeking the help of saints. That is, Christians who, were who had died who were known for their godliness. They began praying to these saints, asking them to bring specific requests to God. In other words, treating them as advocates. And here was the logic. These saints were good Christians who've now entered into God's presence. Since they knew these saints, or at least shared something in common with them, they figured that the saints would be willing to hear their requests, would be sympathetic to their requests. Because they were merely human, they would understand the struggles of people. But because they were now without sin, God would be willing to hear them when they sought favor, when they sought help. Well, our confession looks at that practice and says that is wrong and it's foolish and it's dangerous. And instead, it causes us to look not to these merely human advocates, these saints that have gone before us, but to the advocate that God himself has supplied for us who is perfect in his ability, perfect in his power, and was sent by God for that end. And so really the, the point that we're taught to confess with Article 26 is that we confess Christ 
as our advocate, our only advocate before God. We confess Christ as our advocate before God. And the first thing we see when we consider the advocacy of Christ is how He is an approachable advocate who is sympathetic to our condition. But let's start at the beginning by, by asking why do we need an advocate in heaven? After all, many of the advocates in our society are helpful but not necessarily necessary, right? When they are necessary, it's generally because they have something we lack or they can do something we can't. They have something we lack or they can do something we can't. And that's the case here as well. We need an advocate in heaven because of two things we lack and one thing we can't do. We need an advocate in heaven, first of all, because we lack an approach to God. Ever since Adam sinned, Man has been cut off from the presence of God. Right? That's what, that's what happened after Adam sinned. God sent him out of the garden where he had walked with God, where he had known the presence of God, had spoken to him face to face as a man speaks to his friend. That could no longer happen because of man's sin. And every person born of Adam's line has felt that isolation from God. Some people call it a, a God-shaped hole in our heart. But what it really is, is a desire to know the one who made us. A desire to have communion with the one we were designed to serve. However it's experienced, however it feels to the individual, what it comes down to is separation. We are separated from God. We're cut off from the one whose image we were made to bear, from the one whom we were designed to serve. All of the cults, all of the false religions are empty attempts, man-centered attempts to bridge that gap. They're trying to reconnect to God or to what they imagine God to be. They're trying to re-enter His presence, but on their terms. And that can never work. So that's one thing that we lack is an approach to God. A second thing we lack connected to that is holiness. If you would understand God's nature, right at the heart of His nature is holiness. He is the embodiment and the definition of holiness. That means that in God, there is no shortcoming, there is no sin, there is no defilement at all. He is perfect. He is blameless. He is entirely pure in every way. He is the definition of what is righteous and good. And yet from the very first moment of our existence, we are not. Our hearts are filled with unholy desires. Our hands, our voices, our thoughts tend toward that which is sinful and rebellious and therefore unholy. What is evil is what we naturally embrace. What is good is what we naturally ignore. And as a result, we are defiled. Our souls are stained with the filthiness of sin. Our history is pockmarked with the, the, the brokenness and the blackness of our rebellion. And those who are unholy cannot enter into the presence of the holy God. That's why we lack an approach to God, because we lack holiness. If we were to enter into God's presence defiled by our sin, He would have no choice but to destroy us in judgment. So we lack access to God because we lack holiness. And we also need an advocate because of our inability. On every side in this life, we are faced with needs. Young people, you are starting to grapple with that reality, aren't you? 
That food on the table doesn't just suddenly appear, right? Somebody has to work to earn the money to get it. Somebody has to go to the store to buy it. Somebody has to cook it to make it edible, right? It has to be served up. Those are all needs that we have. And if you're going to work, you need strength. You need opportunity. You need abilities. You need health. You need strength. All of those are needs. And aside from that, we need encouragement. We need comfort. We need friendship. We need companionship. All of those are needs. And the thing is, we're powerless in the face of our needs. You can't give yourself gifts, abilities that you don't have. You can't provide for yourself opportunities that have not been given to you. You can't ensure that your health remains strong. You can't control all of the people in your environment. You can't protect yourself, keep yourself safe. You can't comfort yourself. You can't encourage and build yourself up. So that's our dilemma. We need what God alone can provide because He's the only one that can control all of those things that can meet all of those needs. We need what He alone can provide, but because we are unable, we have no access to God. Our only hope is an advocate. We need someone who can mediate between us and God, seeking our good from God and working to restore us to Him. Such an advocate must meet at least three criteria, three requirements. He must be able to understand us, able to comprehend our needs, able to grasp our situation. He must be approachable so that we can take our needs to him, but he also must be able to help, which means he can go into God's presence. He has that access we lack. He has that holiness that we don't have. And our confession says, the Bible says, Jesus is the only one who can meet those needs. Look at the first of those needs. Our advocate must understand us. He needs to be able to sympathize with us. That makes sense, doesn't it? Could you go to Washington, D.C. and take up the cause of the NRA if you've never fired a gun? Of course not. Could you advocate in Lansing for livestock uh, Livestock farmers, if you've never spent any time on a feedlot, no, that'd be silly. You need to understand those for whom you advocate. And so it is with Jesus. He has to understand us if he's to be our advocate before God, and he does. Hebrews 4 reminds us in verse 15, We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. In other words, he's walked in our shoes. He knows what it's like to face hardship and joy, pain and poverty, love and hate. He knows what it's like to be surrounded by temptations to sin. He knows what it's like to be surrounded by people who embrace, who live in, who identify themselves by their sin. He knows what it's like to be us. The only way he differs from us is he didn't give in to those temptations. He didn't give in to those sins. And yet even in his perfection, Jesus remains a man, remains one of us who's able to get it. He's able to understand us. And just as importantly, we can approach him. Clearly, his understanding, his ability to sympathize would be of no help if he scorned us for our weakness. If he disdained the idea of hanging out with, with 
such as we are. That was a fear of many folks in the Middle Ages that led to them praying to saints. That was an age, you understand, when few people could read. The few who could usually didn't have access to the Bible. And so what they knew of Jesus came from stories they were told, images that they saw in artwork, and legends. Even the worship service wasn't much help to them because it was done in a language that most of them couldn't even understand. And so what most of them thought of Jesus was that he was a harsh judge who stood far off in his holiness and was just waiting to punish those who lived in sin. And so they sought to approach the mediator through a second mediator, a secondary mediator, most notably Mary. I mean, surely his mother, they thought, could soften him toward sinners. So they sought to bypass the son's judgment by seeking the help of his mother, Mary. And then they sought other saints who might appreciate them, resonate with them, because, you know, this saint was a farmer like I am, or this saint was a, was a tradesman the way I am, or this saint knows what it's like to, to struggle with marriage, and that's what I'm struggling with. They would seek the saint who most sympathized with them. But our confession says no. No, because that view of Christ that he's unapproachable is corrupt and wrong and unbiblical. The truth is there is no creature, either in heaven or on earth, who loves us more than Jesus Christ. I mean, Romans 8 reminds us. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with his son graciously give us all things? Jesus came to live and to die for our sake, to deliver us. That was the reason God sent him. So God's going to hear him when he seeks our help, and he's going to hear us, because that's why he came. We heard in our assurance of pardon, he urges us, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's not, that's not a frightening judge that we should shudder to think about approaching, but a tender and loving and caring brother who's eager to receive us, eager to help us. And so in Hebrews 4 verse 16, the apostle says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. It's from him that we seek grace to give us Forgiveness for our sin. It's from Him that we seek the grace to comfort us when we're grieving the death of one we love. It's from Him that we seek the grace that we need when we're, we're struggling with family members who are at odds with us. It's from Him that we seek the grace to overcome those temptations that loom up against us. He is the advocate we can approach because He's been there, because He loves us. But of course... The fact that we can approach him would mean nothing if he couldn't also help. On this front, our confession answers, if we seek for one who has power and majesty, that is, someone who is strong enough and someone who is holy enough, 
Who is there that has so much of both as he who sits at the right hand of God to whom hath been given all authority in heaven and on earth? And who will sooner be heard than the own well-beloved Son of God? Is he strong enough to help me? Folks, there is no one stronger. God the Father commanded that the world come into being and Jesus the Son made it happen. There is nothing in all the universe that He cannot do if it is according to His will. And what of His majesty? What of His holiness? Well, He sits at the Father's right hand. He is robed in white, a living image of innocence, of holiness, of purity, of perfection. In every respect, Jesus is qualified to enter into the presence of God and to seek good on our behalf. But someone will say, I'm not worthy to approach such a perfect mediator. That's foolish. That's why Jesus came. He came to meet all our needs as an advocate, as one who is sufficient. That's the second thing we see. Consider the testimony of Scripture about how He meets our needs. He helps us, says the Bible, by interceding for us. Kids, what's it mean to intercede? Say you get in trouble at school because the due date has come for your big assignment to be turned in and yours isn't done. So you have nothing to turn in. And you want to explain, but the teacher says, no, no excuses. You've known this due date was coming. You had every opportunity. So you just sit there, knowing that this is going to tank your grade. But then let's say your friend gets up and goes to the teacher and says, listen, there's something you need to understand. The reason he couldn't have that project in today is because his, his little sister broke her leg. And he sat in the hospital all weekend watching over his siblings while his parents were we're taking care of his sister. He would have had the project done, but he was helping his family. He couldn't have foreseen that. See, in going to your teacher for you, to help the teacher understand and, and provide mercy to you, they're interceding. Well, that's what Jesus does for us. He intercedes with God to forgive our sins. Hebrews 2 says Jesus had to become like us so he could atone for our sins. And so now, when Satan rises up to accuse us, that's what Satan means, accuser. Jesus stands up before God and says, no, no, I took the punishment for his sins. He points to the nail scars that bear witness to the suffering that he did on our behalf. He declares that in him, through faith, we have become righteous. He intercedes for us to ensure our forgiveness. Also, when we're tempted, He intercedes to ensure that we'll have strength to endure. Hebrews 2.18 says, He Himself has suffered when tempted, and therefore He is able to help those who are being tempted, because He is interceding for you. God will give you the strength you need to stand up, or God will give you the insight to be able to see the alternative to that sin. And again, He intercedes in the face of our needs. We ask the Father to give us strength and faith and perseverance. And God, or and Jesus goes on our behalf and says, provide what he needs. Grant what she has requested. Hebrews 7 verse 25 says, 
He is able He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. And more than just interceding or speaking on our behalf, Jesus provides access for us to approach God. Remember, we were separated from God because of our defilement, because of our sin. But because he shed blood to forgive our sin, Jesus gives us entrance into the presence of God. Therefore, the apostle could say in in Hebrews 10, verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. Our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. He has cleansed us. He has washed us. In Christ, we are holy. And so we can enter God's presence. That's that's the blessing that Jesus assured his apostles of in John 16. In prepare, he's preparing his apostles for the, the difficult days ahead. Telling them, yes, you'll mourn when you see me taken from you. But soon you'll see me again and your sorrow will become joy. And he says, in that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. In the day when they saw him again, after his resurrection, at that time, they would be able to approach the Father on their own because of him through the righteousness they had in Him, through the forgiveness they had in Him, through the access that He had provided for them. A bit farther down, He says, In that day you will ask in My name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father Himself loves you, because you have loved Me and have believed that I came from God. Because they had come, because we have come, to know and love Jesus, to trust Him as our Savior, He ushers us into the very presence of the Father. And He says, this is one of mine. Hear Him for my sake. That's an advocate. Imagine being ushered into the Oval Office. You couldn't do that on your own, right? Try it. Don't try it. Secret Service will have you stop before you get to the door. Even if you could get inside the door, there's so many gatekeepers, there's no way. But if the chief of staff met you at the gate to the White House, walked you into the entrance, flashed his credentials and said, he's with me, well, they'd, they'd walk you right through. You'd get past each one of those gatekeepers. You wouldn't even have to say who you were. All he would have to do is flash his credentials and right in, right? And suddenly you'd, you'd find yourself in that opulent office the seat of power. And you'd have access to the arguably the most powerful politician in our country. Not because you were worthy, but because this other person, this advocate, this chief of staff walked you in. That's what Jesus does for us with one who is infinitely more powerful than any president who's ever sat in that office. He walks us right into the very presence of God and says, because of my credentials... Because of my holiness, my righteousness, my perfection, I bring you into the presence of God. Who else do we need? Who else could we seek? The answer is evident, isn't it? No one. 
Jesus alone could testify to the disciples. I came from the Father and I have come into the world and now I'm leaving the world and going to the Father. And with that he warned them in John 14. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. After all, that's why the Father sent him. God sent him to answer our needs and to provide entrance into his presence. How could anyone else do it then? Jesus was always concerned to give his followers assurance of his care, and never more so than when he was preparing to return to the Father. He assured them in the final verse that we read from John 16, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. That was just as true, or that is just as true for us today as it was for them back then. We live in a world that is filled with the pain of sin and its consequences, with the hatred and the warfare of those who despise God, with the upheaval of sin and rebellion, both in our life and in our environment. We live in the midst of the reality of Revelation 12. You want to understand this age in which we live? Study Revelation 12. There we're told that there was a woman who represents Eve and Israel and the church and Mary. Eve was prepared, or this woman was preparing to bring forth the promised son, the one who would reconcile sinful men with the holy God, the one who would bring peace that no mere man could bring. And there was a dragon, an ancient serpent who sought for the downfall of mankind and the destruction of God's authority, who was preparing to devour the child as soon as he was born, but he was thwarted. The child was born, was preserved, was taken up to be with God, and now the dragon is enraged, says Revelation 12, because he's been defeated. Michael and his angels fighting with the authority and with the power of Christ, the son who was born, have defeated him and cast him out of heaven. And so now he makes war upon the woman and her offspring who have been sent into exile in the wilderness until the end, until the final proclamation and revelation of the son's victory. And we read at the very end of that passage, the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. That's us. He's making war against us because he has lost the battle and he knows it and he's bitter. And he wants to try to take from God any piece of the victory that he has won in Christ. In this world you will have tribulation, Jesus said. You will have tribulation because of the sins that you commit, because of the sins that other people commit, because of the sinful nature that still dwells within you against which you fight. But take heart, says Jesus, I have overcome the world. He is the only one who has overcome the world. He is the only one who could give you access to God despite the sin that has been within you. He is the only one who can meet your needs right now and each day of your life. Is there anyone else? Mary? Mary was a, an amazing woman, but she depended on Jesus to meet her needs, even as he hung on the cross. Peter? <laughs> no. Peter was rebuked by Jesus as, as one who was so wrong-headed in his thoughts 
that he was serving the cause of Satan. Peter had to be rebuked by Paul for failing to understand the way that God's people are to live. What of Mohammed? He's no help, he's dead. What about Gandhi, a sinner separated from God? Joseph Smith of the Mormon church lived a lie. Charles Russell founded the Jehovah's Witnesses based on false prophecy. Who then will you choose as an advocate who can restore you to God, who can meet your every need, who can overcome your defilement, who can walk you into the very presence of your Creator without fear? None but Christ. No one else can forgive your sin. No one else will intercede with God for your needs. No one else can usher you into the very presence of the Father and assure you of eternal life that no one can steal. So if you would have help, if you would have hope, you need this advocate and no one else. So turn to Him. There is no life. There is no help. There is no peace apart from Christ. I can't provide it. The elders can't provide it. The, the parents in your life can't provide it. But Christ can. So trust Him for your life. And then each day of your life. Seek the deliverance you need from temptation. Seek the provision you need for the flesh. Seek the comfort you need for your soul. Seek the wisdom you need for your mind from Christ. And He will provide. You do not have because you do not ask, says James. So let us ask. And as we ask, we can be certain He will answer. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest, says Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Father, you have provided in your Son Precisely the one we need. May you so work in our hearts that we grasp the fullness of that reality and that we learn to trust Him for everything we need at this moment and unto eternity. And may you use us to bring glory to your name as we trust in Christ, as we live through faith in Him. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Christ intercedes for us. So let's ask for that intercession. Confessing our confidence that He whom we ask will answer. We'll do that by standing to sing together number 455. Number 455.
Let's pray together. Father, you have given us all that we possess. And you've given it that we might serve you with it. Receive then these tithes and offerings that we bring this day. As a token of that which you've given. A token of our gratitude. And of our faith in you. And Lord, make us to be eager to serve you with all that we've given. We've been given not only our money, but our gifts our time, our families, our strength, our all. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Our offering song this morning is number 224. Praise God, ye servants of the Lord. We'll sing the first four stanzas.
The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.